every time I turn on the radio, there's all this talk about the great resignation and staff shortages across the board. And, and I, I think that these rural communities with trail networks can actually help recruit people that are passionate about the outdoors and innovative in their skills and, and people who will be invested in their local community. And one thing I always like to share is our own governor. He always uses this example, and I love that he does. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of the show is to tell the stories you'll hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, take a spin through our library and check out some of our previous episodes, which feature some great guests within the mountain biking and trails communities. For episode 60, we are featuring Abby Long, the executive director of the Kingdom Trails located in East Burke, Vermont. Kingdom Trails has been one of the most prolific trail communities for a couple decades now, and this is part one of a two-part series on Kingdom Trails, as next week we'll feature CJ Scott, the trail director of the Kingdom Trails. But wait, there's more. If you'd like to hear the full Kingdom Trails backstory, check out episode 33 of Trail Effect, featuring Lil Eyed, the communication and education director of the Kingdom Trails. But wait, there's still more. It's no secret that Freehub Magazine is the leader in print media, in terms of featuring trails and trail communities. And the latest edition of Freehub that just dropped last week is the Vermont Photo Book, which, as you can probably guess, features the entire state of Vermont. While it's called a photo book, the words between the photos tell the story about how the state of Vermont might be the most grassroots yet most mountain bike friendly state in the U.S. Subscribe to Freehub or pick up the Vermont Photo Book everywhere rad publications are sold. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or a bunch of friends about the show. Also, please subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. This will help ensure you get the latest Trail Effect episodes, and it will help the podcast gain more traction, especially after relaunching on this new feed. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Abby Long, the Executive Director of Kingdom Trails in East Burke, Vermont. Kingdom Trails has been a model trail community for at least two decades now, and they have a lot of really good things going on in their economic development, especially, along with the fact that they host really awesome quality trails, will be a really good addition for this show. So how's it going today, Abby? Hi, Josh. Thanks so much. I'm so grateful to be here. I love sharing Kingdom Trails' story. Yeah, well, I'm grateful that you were able to make this fit into your schedule and that we got this all planned out and we can record. Definitely. Let's talk about your backstory and kind of what led you to down the path of being the executive director for the Kingdom Trails. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to share. You know, thinking back, I, I always knew I, you know, I grew up knowing I was going to be an active member of my community. My parents were, you know, mom on school board, dad on the, on the pond council. And, you know, they were always bringing us to, to town meetings and involving us. And so it just, there was no other way. I, want, I needed to be invested in where I lived. 
And, um, and I think that's how I pursued my education. You know, I, uh, undergrad in public and community service and master's was in service leadership and nonprofit management. And that recreation piece though, was more just for fun. It was the, like all of us, I think, who end up in the recreation world, we're, we're out there moving <laughs> and loving it. And so my husband and I, that's what kind of brought us out, out west to Leadville, Colorado, the highest town in North America, the biggest, biggest mountains you could ask for. We're at, at our driveway. And, <laughs> and we, we went out there for recreation, for adventure. And I was actually finishing up my master's, so I didn't have a job. I, I followed him. I, I fell in love, <laughs> wanted to be with him and in the mountains. And um, the Leadville Race Series is, is uh, in, in that town. And it's uh, endurance mountain biking and endurance trail running events. And they were hiring. And I thought, well, I love, love all of this and just finished a master's in management. So I thought, why not? try my hand at this and loved it. I uh, immediately found a family. Uh, my own neighbor were the founders of the race series and um, was welcomed with open arms, thrived off of seeing these athletes uh, accomplish their goals. But I also uh, clued into, you know, that race series started because of, for the economic development of that small mining town. And I think it was, you know, 1982, the, the mine closed and unemployment skyrocketed to the highest in the nation. And that race series was born to bring people overnight to that community to spend money to uplift the community again. And it absolutely has. So after a few years with the race series, I actually transitioned over to be the executive director of the nonprofit arm of the race series, the Leadville Trail 100 Legacy Foundation. So I was actually able to leverage funds that came in through the racers, the visitors, and take that, push it back into the school district, push it back out into scholarships, push it back into economic development through small business loans um, and mini grants. And that's once I, I uh, hit that in my career, I knew that's where I thrived and where I wanted to stay put. But as many other folks my age, millennials, you know, I was a New England girl at heart and I wanted to move closer <laughs> to my parents. So they're in New Hampshire and I, I wanted to get back to, to New England. And I had gone to grad school in Vermont and had fallen in love with those green mountains. So my husband and I were looking at the area and I said, oh, I heard of these trails. There's, I think there's like 100 miles. <laughs> Went on the website and the executive director job description was staring me back at the face saying they were hiring and went for it, threw my name in the hat. And, and now I'm so grateful that they... they uh, saw that I was a good fit for them. And now I'm in a community that is my husband and I and our, our growing family. It's our forever home. And uh, we have trails in the backyard. And my kiddo's been my baby. He's, he's a year and a half now. He's been on them almost every day of his life. And that's how I want him to grow up. And uh, that's what led me here to be the executive director of KT. That's, that's actually, that's a pretty awesome story. Especially the fact that you've implemented some of what you were doing, and this is kind of jumping ahead and we'll, we'll go back. You've implemented the grant aspect from Leadville into your Kingdom Trail stuff, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's, let's go over kind of what Kingdom Trails is to you as an organization and, and kind of for those, I mean, there may be a person that has never heard of Kingdom Trails. I'm assuming most people have at this point, or at least the people that listen to this podcast. But let's, 
let's talk about what Kingdom Trails is and an overview of the organization. Definitely. Well, Kingdom Trails, we're a nonprofit trail network and, and we're located up in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom. Um, I love saying that I'm from the kingdom. Uh, that's the towns of Burke and Lindenville, Kirby, and, and most recently East Haven. We actually crossed the county lines. The Northeast Kingdom, I should say, is so special because it's actually a pretty rural area of our country, not just the state of Vermont, a very economically and socially challenged area. And uh, Kingdom Trails is here because in 1994, this incredible, incredible group of uh, passionate uh, local leaders and recreation enthusiasts and business owners came together because they knew they needed to uplift this region. And they saw that they could do that through outdoor recreation. And ever since then, that was in 1994, we've been striving towards our mission, which is providing recreation and education opportunities even by managing, maintaining, and building trails to foster the health of our local community, the surrounding environment, and, and as I've already mentioned, the regional economy. What's awesome is we strive to do that mission, to strive to accomplish it by offering now like over 100 miles of trails, non-motorized, multi-use, all season, all levels of abilities, everyone's welcome. And but before I go any further, you know, I cannot stress enough that our trails are solely made possible by now 104 private landowners. And that, I think, right there nails it on why Kingdom Trails is so unique compared to other trail networks around the country. It is literally my own neighbors on either side of me um, that, that so generously allow trails to cross their properties. And, and these landowners see the vision see the assets, see the positive that Kingdom Trails is having in one of, one of the most, as I just stated, economically and socially challenged regions. And that's why they're willing to allow access on their private land to others. They receive no benefit at having trails on their land um, other than the knowledge that they're contributing to uplifting their community. So that's what Kingdom Trails does. We, pr we protect those trails, protect their properties, and uh, provide this gift to others to enjoy for the benefit of everybody. And it was about a decade ago that Kingdom Trails first got on my radar. And that was the exact reason why King Kingdom Trails got on my radar was the fact that you you're all are doing this through private land. I've always thought, you know, where I live in Wisconsin, it's probably similar topography, obviously not nearly as tall, you know, but hardwood forests and a lot of private land. And I think it's been 28 years that Kingdom Trails has been doing it, but I think a lot of other communities could learn from your model and implement that for their community to get, even if it's just crucial con connections to already created trail systems. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons I love sharing Kingdom Trails stories is just because I get to share the stories of our landowners. You know, some landowners are, are, business owners themselves, maybe they have an, an, a bed and breakfast on their property and they know the trails will help fill their, their rooms. But then other landowners are recreation enthusiasts themselves. You know, my neighbor down the road is Georgia Gould, who won a bronze medal in mountain biking in, in London. And she actually had a baby just three weeks before mine. So we walked a lot together. <laughs> but she's here because she wants to ride the trails every single day. 
And, um, you know, it's just, and then there's some landowners who've been here for generations, um, maybe they're farmers and, and they just know that, that others love the trails and enjoy it. And they're happy to, to, to host. Let's get into the uh, community aspect of it, especially from the rural and economic development perspective. You know, I think this is something that a lot of communities like Burke and even Leadville, as you described earlier, they're looking for that new, new way of economically developing their community before it becomes a ghost town. And a lot of communities are turning to recreation. You know, with Kingdom Trails being as established as they are, you know, this didn't obviously, it's like that, that band that took, that just took off out of nowhere. The reality is there was a ton of time that went in in years of practice that went in before that band took off, right? So let's talk about how Kingdom Trails has really like wholeheartedly brought that economic development forward and how you guys really do help the community in terms of, you know, when I was talking to Lil in her episode, she talked about you guys giving grants to non-recreation-based organizations. Totally. You know, so that's just one example. Yeah, I I think this, I can answer this probably in like twofold, you know, economic impact of trails. I mean, there's study after study now that's proven that trails significant in rural areas, the especially communities that are located like adjacent or on route even to a trail network. Just the benefits are incredible. And, you know, even Kingdom Trails, we were fortunate to be in, take part in an economic uh, impact study through the Vermont Trails and Greenway Council. And so I've got all these like awesome numbers that, you know, Kingdom Trails now has this annual impact of $10 million a year. And, and KT is not getting that money. That's, that's money going into the community because, you know, through the number of visitors that we're experiencing, which is, I would say right now is about 100,000. It is definitely fluctuated with the pandemic. I'll, I'll tell you that. But we know that like 85% of those visitors are coming from out of state. And pre-pandemic, 38% of those were Canadians, our neighbors to the north. And the majority of those visitors are spending the night. Uh, they're staying on average like 2.5 days. They're spending $115 a day. You know, they're, they're buying gear and gas and food, uh, lodging, gallons of maple syrup, of course, too. Um, and, <laughs> and so that, that adds up. And KT, like I said, is not getting that money. That's going, that's directly into our community. And I think that's really powerful. And what I love too is that wealth is spread. You know, it's not, we're not building, you know, a big industrial park where the money gets spent just right there. It's, you know, these trails are actually connecting multiple towns now, communities, Linville, Burke, Kirby, uh, East Haven, and we're connecting these little downtown villages and these businesses are popping up. You know, I think a couple of years ago, we did the math and since Kingdom Trails was established, there were 30 new businesses that, uh, that have appeared and, and East Haven, you know, they are even more rural than Burke just down the road and don't really have, they don't even have a general store, but a brewery popped up this past year and it's delicious. <laughs> and it's an awesome space to gather and hang out after a ride. And it's called Dirt Church and uh, folks should definitely check it out when they're visiting. But I don't, I don't see that stopping. I, I see little um, family owned things popping up all over the place. 
And, and I also love it because those businesses provide a holistic experience when uh, folks visit. And even for the folks like myself who live here, you know, after you ride or run on the trails, where are you going to grab a burrito after or have a beverage? And where else in Vermont can you go to a tiki bar? So it's just a wonderful, wonderful place to live, which I think actually brings me to on a broader scale, you know, trail networks, they, they elevate rural communities as, as an exemplary place to live, work and play, you know, with the pandemic, this shift of online remote work has all of a sudden like made people think that really their quality of life is so valuable. is so important. Um, they want to be able to live, work and play all in the same area. And, and I think KT can aid in showcasing Vermont's Northeast Kingdom as a desirable place to be, which then can assist like other areas, other industries need to help recruit a workforce. Because every time I turn on the radio, there's all this talk about the great resignation and staff shortages across the board. And, and I, I think that these rural communities with trail networks can actually help recruit people that are passionate about the outdoors and innovative in their skills and, and people who will be invested in their local community. And one thing I always like to share is our own governor. He always uses this example and I love that he does. So, you know, again, across the state of Vermont, there's industries are having trouble hiring, but our governor actually was visiting an engineer firm in Lindenville um, who was fully hired. And the governor's like, what, how, how are you able to hire people? And the owner said, well, they advertise in, uh, for their jobs in bike magazines. And, <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's folks who want to be on the trails every day who also need a job are moving because we're here. And so I want that to continue. And then the, the twofold part really quick, you know, you've mentioned Josh, the, the grants. The KT Mini Grant Program is something I'm really proud of. And, and yes, that was, that was drawn from my experiences in Leadville. But, and, and that was one of the first things I, I implemented when I uh, took on the leadership role because it's our way of saying thank you to the communities that host us um, and to our landowners even. Like, like I said, we're, through state statute, we're actually not allowed to compensate our landowners um, due to their liability protection. Um, through the state um, that would waive that protection. And in our communities, you know, through the number of visitors we experience each year, there's a lot of congestion and, and pressure and stress put on our host communities. So as a way of saying how grateful we are, I feel these mini grants were able to take um, $25,000 annually that have come in through our membership revenue and push it back out. And no, the mini grants don't go down. Sometimes they don't go to outdoor recreation. Sometimes they go to um, books in the library, um, playground equipment, or um, uh, revitalizing a, a church steeple because it's a public gathering space. Backpack program that, um, at a local social service agency that provides food for kiddos over the weekend that might not have food um, outside of school lunches. And so, um, again, it's just our way of pushing back out into the community to show that we're being responsible and, and again, and how appreciative we are. One of the, you know, it's, it's interesting. A common theme has been with a handful of people that I've had on the show has been that 
being able to work remotely, mm-hmm. you know, and now choosing to live where you want to live based on your, what you do outside of your job. And I think the person that really struck a chord with me on that, a positive chord, is when I interviewed Cal Horvath from Ely, Nevada. And he's a, he's a tourism director. And he said if he's doing his job right, he's getting 2,000 more people to move to White Pine County, which is the county that Ely is in, which I've never heard a tourism director actually talk about getting people to move to their community. It's always heads and beds and restaurants and stuff like that. And that just struck me as being such an incredible thing. And that's a community that, like many communities, the one industry shut down back in the early 90s and now they're trying to revitalize it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that's the ultimate goal that we, we want people to move here. And, you know, like I said, the Northeast Kingdom, we're, we're actually a desig- federally designated REAP zone, which, again, means that we're, we're challenged in ways. <laughs> but our population has consistently been declining. And so we know we need to entice people and attract people, um, not only for workforce, but for the viability of our, our communities. We're going to change gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. November of 2019 was kind of a pivotal moment in Kingdom Trails and in your career within Kingdom Trails. And we don't need to dig into the past. There's been a bunch of journalism on the access that you guys lost. And I would highly recommend people reading that journalism and we'll we'll link that in the show notes. But let's talk about the positives that have came out of that and some of the stuff that you've implemented moving forward or will be planning on implementing through your network capacity study. And then you're also your ride of gratitude campaign and basically everything that you guys have done to really kind of take that moment to reevaluate what's going on and how you can improve what's happening in Kingdom Trails, not only for the residents, but also for the people that are coming in, for the users. Absolutely, Josh. And it, it was a pivotal time. I, I do want to acknowledge that. And it, uh, it, <laughs> um, it was a very challenging time for the organization. And on the exact same day, I found out I was pregnant too. So it was <laughs> quite the, the event. But, um, but I truly believe Maybe it was a blessing in disguise. I, I am always a positive person. So of course kept that, you know, those grounding positive thoughts always in my mind to keep me going forward, um, to keep the organization going forward. And, and I, I believe there's been a lot of good. Uh, the silver linings have come, come out of, out of this. And like, again, what you've just mentioned, our capacity study, Ride with Gratitude, and, and so much more. And I, I think, though, the underlying, I guess, lessons learned is communication. I think, first of all, recognizing that Kingdom Trails, I've mentioned those numbers, you know, we've, we've experienced 100,000 visits. And before pandemic, it was even more than that, because the um, we had Canadians coming and, and actually the border has been closed for two years. So we haven't been able to see our neighbors to the north. But as mentioned, those numbers have tremendous economic impact, but it does create pressures and stress on our host communities. And Kingdom Trails wholeheartedly acknowledges that and knows that we need to, to act uh, to, to try to change that. But before we could act, we needed to listen. 
we we needed to engage with our communities and especially our landowners before we move forward. And so, you know, we've been able to do that in a number of ways. The capacity study was a, uh, it was actually wonderfully USDA funded. We had uh, engineering consultants help us through that program. So it wasn't just Kingdom Trails moving forward on our own willy nilly. And it was a true public engagement process. Every landowner was involved. Uh, local town leaders, our select board members were involved. Trail users were surveyed. And even right before the pandemic hit, we were actually able to have you know, over 250 people attended a visioning session. Um, and then we had focus groups and surveys throughout the pandemic. So the engagement was not lost. And, and through that process, we were able to formulate these solutions, recommendations, anywhere from more parking to uh, a new potential community hub that would serve as a welcome center to, you know, connect our trails being built that would mitigate bike travel off the roads. Our trails crossing roads are now safer. And, and, and then even, you know, things like our shuttle system, you know, making sure in our messaging, just improving. So we learned so much through that. And, and we learned that through knowing what our community wants. And then also what was born through those, those events was Ride with Gratitude, which is our code of conduct um, that we have adopted through Bike Borderlands, which is an incredible mountain bike collaborative up here in the northern, northern borders region of New England. There's trail networks that are a part of this collaborative from northern Maine all the way to the Adirondacks. And those networks, you know, maybe they're smaller than Kingdom Trails. However, you know, they're in rural areas too, and, and they want to strive to be bigger and invite more people. And same goals as Kingdom Trails, have people move there to their communities. And they want to learn from, from Kingdom Trails experiences. So... <laughs> Together, we put our heads together through Bike Borderlands and were able to come up with Ride with Gratitude, which we did that because, again, I don't want Kingdom Trails to be out on their own. I know our voices are stronger together. And many of the folks who visit and ride at Kingdom Trails are also probably exploring these other networks. So the more we can get Ride with Gratitude in the face of these of folks, the more it will be absorbed and it will just become natural. And we've also, it's not just the trail networks, we've engaged with our the businesses and the local communities surrounding the trails. So you could go get a cup of coffee at Cafe Lottie down the street from KT, go to the bathroom and you close your stall door and Ride With Gratitude logo is staring you back in the face. <laughs> so, so it's really um, hitting them holistically <laughs> on all fronts. And what I also love about Ride With Gratitude is that it translates to everything. It's not, not just mountain biking. It was kind of focused on mountain biking at first because that is the majority of our trail users. And that, that was, if we look back to the events that happened at KT and, and Devin did an incredible job. I know you interviewed him and I, I really enjoyed listening to that. He nailed it. You, you both nailed it. it. It was mountain bike behavior, but you know, I think ride with gratitude was focused at mountain bikers, but we can also say recreate with gratitude. And it just, you know, tells everybody and anyone going anywhere that when you enter a community, it's, it's not your right, it's a privilege 
and that you're there and able to recreate on this private land. And we want you to be respectful of not only the land, but the landowner and the communities that are hosting you and each other, because you're going to pass folks, different trail users out on the trails and everybody wants to be treated with kindness. <laughs> and I think that's really what Ride with Gratitude is, just being kind and respectful. Yeah, and you guys also put together a really good video on that. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. A visual example of what writing with gratitude really means and really is. Lilius is our communications, and, and I know she spoke with you about our communications director and, sh- and education director, and she has done an incredible job of really distilling what write with gratitude means. And, and even this year, she's working on a little mini campaign to fall under ride with gratitude. That's ride single file, you know, just, <laughs> just not, not being 20 abreast in the middle of the road, but <laughs> so really, really getting down to show people what ex- actual examples are of, of how to be respectful, little things that you can do. Yeah. And I could imagine this is, this is going off for of the ride of gratitude, but still staying on, on the topic, you know, as part of your network capacity study, I'm sure before November 2019 happened, your organization is probably already thinking about some of the things that should be implemented, such as better crossings, maybe better parking areas, how to parking. get people spread out more. <laughs> parking keeps me up at night. Yeah. And that's one of those things that as a trail user and a person that, tra- that travels to different communities, like I don't, the last thing I want to do is park in a place that isn't the designated parking lot. Absolutely. And this, as you said, the silver lining probably just boosted that desire and need and kind of brought those things that you kind of think about doing all the time, but never really get around to doing because you're busy building trail or do it, putting out whatever fire is in front of you at that moment. Mm-hmm. It probably really just made that the main focus and to really get things moving forward. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that capacity study, the, the results, the solutions and recommendations that came out of it are such a gift. I knew, I think when I joined Kingdom Trails four years ago, I knew we were kind of at a a tipping point at a pivotal <laughs> um, and that uh, maybe things needed in order to show that our community, that we were being responsible land managers and that we would have a sustainable future ahead of us. We, I knew some action needed to be taken that we needed to go through a public process uh, to get us to do the right things. And what kills me is, you know, I, none of this stuff, can really happen overnight. And I wish it could. I wish I could just poof appear and have proper parking in the proper dispersed areas around the network that they need to be through these proper processes. It's giving us the tools to go and implement them correctly, which I think is key. We don't want to just, oh, here's some land. We could put parking there, but it actually in the long run causes further congestion or <laughs> so by having experts at the table as, as as well as community and landowners, I know we're, we're doing the right thing. And that actually, you know, one of the biggest recommendations is the community hub I mentioned, and it will serve as a KT welcome space to sell memberships and provide information, but it will also house our offices. You know, I don't even have a parking spot for any of my staff, and this will be paired with municipal parking. So not only will it be Kingdom Trails parking, but also help the community because our town has no municipal parking either. So. It will, it will check, check a couple of boxes. That's a good segue. Let's talk about Kingdom Trails and your staff. Yeah. Love my staff. As an organization, I, always, I love like kind of digging into organizations and how they've gotten to where they have with hiring staff and 
putting different people in different positions and how they identify what their needs are. What do you guys have for those that aren't familiar with Kingdom Trails from a staff perspective? What do you guys have for staff on board, both full-time year-round and seasonal? Um, Great question, because I know a lot of trail networks, including Kingdom Trails when we first began, are volunteer-based, solely dependent upon volunteers. And, and Kingdom Trails was for a long, long time. And we're so grateful for the, from the, the toil of those volunteers. It's where, why we are where we are. Um, but I do believe by adding capacity um, to the trail network through staff that we can, can be more responsible managers of the network um, and of the visitors who, who come. You know, we have a leadership team. We have our trail director communications and education because messaging is so important and we're, we're continuously adding as well. You know, even I'm in the midst right now of hiring a development director, someone who can help me fundraise and apply for grants. Um, because looking at some of the big undertakings of implementing some of those solutions from the capacity study, we need funding. (laughs) So, so we need to expand our team that way. Uh, but we also have incredible seasonal staff that join us every summer, year after year. And we have our trail crew that we pay to, to build beautiful trails. And we have information specialists who um, help us greet and welcome and pass along proper information about that nitty gritty stuff, about parking, about uh, trail access, about Ride with Gratitude. And then I love our trail ambassadors. We have folks out there on foot, on bike, on horse, out on the trails, coming face to face with people and holding, of course, behaviors accountable, but also just being a source of information and a welcoming face. So again, just, just grateful to our team. And, and I think this year, especially we've done some huge investments in our team. We've actually, for the first time ever, are offering health benefits. Um, really, you know, again, the staff shortage I've brought up earlier, well, Kingdom Trails is not immune to that. <laughs> and um, we even last summer had challenges hiring and going into this summer, knowing that the Canadian border is back open, I know we need to be fully prepared for numbers of visitors. And so we're investing more in our team and because we really want to hire and retain incredible employees. And And the other thing that I want folks to know is that outdoor recreation doesn't have to be this seasonal or a job you do in your young 20s or that I I don't want to like ski bum mentality. It's a career. You know, it doesn't just have to be a stepping stone. It can be you can you can have longevity and have a life working for what you're passionate about. And I think Kingdom Trails is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that came up in a different podcast with a, a guy named Greg Mazu who owns single track trails is one of his, his missions is to make sure that he's creating mortgage paying jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what you just, I mean, you basically just summed all that up and it doesn't have to be a, you know, it's not a stepping stone. It's not something you need to do just when you're young or just out of college, you know, it can be a, a career that helps absolutely raise a family mm-hmm. or pay a mortgage or whatever you're, whatever you like to stick your money into when you're not paying your regular stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were fortunate last year. We, I ran us through a, uh, like an HR audit process and 
through that, we, we learned, you know, we were able to bump our salaries to, to be at the standards of our area and our, and for nonprofits and add those benefits, as I mentioned, but also adding other perks like professional development. And, you know, you, you can really grow here at Kingdom Trails and, and we've made clear paths. You know, we have a, a gal working for us, Delaney, who was a junior trail ambassador. You know, she volunteered on the weekends when she was in high school and greeting people and riding the trails. And now she's our retail specialist. So she's able to go to college at NVU, the local Northern Vermont University, and, and work for us and have hands-on experience while she's gaining her education, getting paid by us, but also getting college credit. So I, I really hope to provide more paths like that for, for folks and for KT, you know, it helps, it helps us again, go back, goes back to our mission. It helps us continue striving and growing and progressing responsibly. Let's quickly hit on the trail building side of things. I know one of the, one of the benefits of the silver linings in the pandemic, and this was talked about by Lil, and it kind of surprised me was that although there is no events going on, it gave you and your staff the ability to put down 13 miles of trail in 2020. I know. How's that going? <laughs> it's, it was a lot that year. It's going great. I mean, they're, they're out there still. <laughs> um, so I think that was an anomaly that year. We had no events. We had less visitors. Um, and we were able to do that. Um, we also had, you know, sometimes it, it's not even dependent on if we have the capacity to do that. It's dependent on funding and the permissions to do that as well. And I think everything kind of came together that summer. So we were able to, to build 12 miles of trails. That, that is not an average rate by any means. Far from it, actually. I think our average rate is usually a little below five miles each summer at least since, since I've been with the organization. And, and I think that's a good place to stay at. You know, a lot of times people ask me, well, how big is Kingdom Trail supposed to get? Are you supposed to take over the whole kingdom? Are you supposed to go to the Canadian border? And, and that's not my vision at all. But I think there are ways we can grow internally. Like this past summer, for example, um, we didn't build 12 miles of trails. But we now host 53 miles of adaptive mountain bike trails. And that to me is even more greater than in 12 miles in any day. We were able to, you know, partner with local organizations like the Kelly Brush Foundation and Vermont Adaptive and get some real expert adaptive riders in here uh, to help guide us on what it takes to revamp some of our existing trails to then welcome all bodies, all abilities onto our trails. So we did build some new ones, but we were also able to look at some of our main corridors and open them up a bit or fix the grades or the kilter in order to be safe, widen our bridges a little bit <laughs> uh, to be safe for those riders. And that, that to me is, that's where I want to start putting more of our efforts. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I dug into that a little bit too, in the sense that it seemed like your trail system, for the most part, the network was already set up just not even on purpose to accommodate adaptive riders. But like you just said, things like bridges and choke points, mm -hmm. you know, certain small areas needed to be addressed to make it more, just more user-friendly and make it so it was possible to connect to different places. 
Absolutely. And we even had to think it's not just the trails. We have to make sure that the, our adaptive riding friends are, again, holistically supported when they come here. Is the parking area and the, even the trailhead accessible? The, the restaurant afterwards to go get a beer? Uh, is there lodging opportunities that um, they'll be safe and comfortable in? So we were, you know, Mike's Tiki Bar, perfect example, you know. Folks have no problem accessing because it's all open. And we're even, I've had conversations just last week with the landowner who hosts New School, which is a new trail that is, that welcomes adaptive riders. And he has a couple of rental cabins on the property and he wants to make sure that all of those cabins are accessible so folks can stay with him and then ride right out the front door. I can also assume that even though you might, your average is five miles a year, which honestly for any organization to get five miles down is, is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can assume that you're also, your crews are also spending a significant amount of time just doing general maintenance tasks. I mean, that's the other thing. A hundred plus miles is a lot of maintenance. And we know that that is actually more of a priority than building new trails. Because if our bread and butter, our trails that everyone loves and enjoys and has for years ever was to decline, then that's what keeps people coming back and, and loving our trail network. So we, that's, that's really our main responsibility of within our trail crew is the upkeep, making sure that, that everything is pristine and uh, rideable and enjoyable. And, you know, and also sustainable with the environment. You know, we've seen a lot of wild weather these past couple of years, and that's not going to go away. And so maintenance actually in that sense has become very crucial in order to not be detrimental to the land. Yeah, for sure. A couple of topics that I brought up before we started recording were bike borderlands, which you've talked about a little bit, which I'd like to get into, but also what an executive director role really is within a trail organization or even just an organization in general. Let's, let's go into the executive director part first. Let's, you've, you've been in a couple different organizations now. You kind of went to school for it, you know, and working in mm-hmm. nonprofits, you know, so I think you have a good, a good grasp on what, what, the, what an executive director really can do for an organization and what their roles might be. Absolutely. I, I'm so proud and grateful for this opportunity to be in the executive director role but I will be the first person uh, to recognize that I can't do it without the team. You know, I, I think the ED's role um, and why more and more trail networks are starting to hire somebody to be in this role is, is to make sure it all moves. It all goes forward, <laughs> you know, to manage an organization. And that's what I can do. I'm not out there building trail. I'll join in the volunteer tear days, of course, but I'm not the one sweating and digging. And quite frankly, I am not the expert with trail building. CJ Scott has been with our organization 20 years and he's our trail director and an incredible resource and leader with our trails. And I trust him wholeheartedly to, to move forward. And, And we actually, we even have trail advisory committees. We have a lot of advisory committees within our community, but you know, I, I let him fly. <laughs> but I, I think I know how to run an organization. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm always learning and, and I rely heavily on my own board of directors to, to support me through that. But I can make sure everything keeps moving and keeps moving forward. 
I think I'm the one who has to have the long-term vision, you know, not what's happening tomorrow, not what they're building tomorrow, but what's happening in five years and what can we do right now in order to get us there. And that I think is proven with the capacity study. And, and right now we're moving forward with a master planning design process of a community hub for a welcome center. You know, these are all these things, processes you have to go through ahead of time and before you can even break ground to build a parking lot. So I think that's where an executive director and where I am proud to come in is maybe I'm not the one doing it, the everyday operations, but I'm the one uplifting those experts, those department heads and empowering them to go forth and do it. Yeah, for sure. And the other, the other topic was bike the borderlands for those that aren't aware of what bike the borderlands is. Could you give a, a good rundown of what bike borderlands is for your region and how it's important to have something like bike the borderlands in the region and how it brings all the different organizations and trail networks together. Mm -hmm. So first bike the borderlands itself is actually a little subset of an umbrella organization called the Northern forest center, which is an incredible resource for our region. The Northern Forest Center is basically a community development entity uh, that's focused on the northern borders of Maine, New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, and the Adirondacks. So some pretty, going back to, I keep, I feel like a broken record, extremely economically and socially uh, challenged regions of the country because historically they relied heavily on the forest industry paper mills, logging operations. And those industries have been in decline. And so the Northern Forest Center recognizes that. And I believe they have, you know, mission, they have objectives with a lot of federal funding to continue to uplift those communities by diversifying their industries. You know, of course, not pushing away the traditional historical industry of the forest. Um, It's actually taking the forest industry and bringing it to the new working landscape, like re-envisioning, looking at it through new perspectives. And, And a lot of that is by adding outdoor recreation. And, you know, you can, our own forests that are surrounding kingdom trails, you know, we have landowners that have, Uh, sustainable logging operations. They have maple tap lines. You know, you could be biking and you're kind of dodging these lines that go over your head and that's maple. (laughs) And these are all forest products. And Northern Forest Center believes that outdoor recreation is actually a product of the forest and a sustainable one. And so these industries actually are complementing each other and can actually uplift each other for the future of these communities. So I'm all in when it comes to community development. And so Northern Forest Center was able to, uh, again, recognize that outdoor recreation is a pretty powerful avenue, something to leverage for these communities that are somewhat depressed and in decline. And they wanted to focus their efforts. And that's where Bike Borderlands, the mountain bike collaborative was, was kind of birthed. And so it's a a group of trail networks that that are in these regions. And 
they come together consistently to meet. Actually, tomorrow they're meeting here. <laughs> and they get together, they, and they do a number of things for each other. I think the number one thing why I am grateful to be a part of Bike Borderlands is a resource. We're, we're able to look to each other and lean on each other immediately and ask each other candid questions like, have you guys experienced this issue? Like we're experiencing it. What should we do? What did you do? Messaging, you know, together, that's where Ride with Gratitude came from. And our voices are stronger together. We can all push out that message, hitting people from all sides. And also funding, you know, the Bike Borderlands does through the Northern Forest Center. I said that they're supported through a lot of federal funds. And there's some grants that Bike Borderlands has been able to go for together with all the trail networks to gain some funding for these challenged areas of the of the country. So and there's leadership too. you know, you know, Northern Forest Center is an incredible, like I said, uh, resource, but there's some folks there who are facilitators who can help our trail networks go through some learning processes. So we're, we're grateful every day that, you know, I feel like I email them all the time saying, <laughs> asking random questions and, and they're there for us. Wonderful friends. Well, let's move forward into 2022 and maybe what, if you can talk about anything that kingdom trails might be doing moving forward for 2022, whether it's any kind of programming or whatever you have going on. Sure. But, you know, I did just quick mention we're going for grant funding. We applied for a USDA grant for master plan of a, of a community hub. And I'm really looking forward to hopefully getting those funds and moving forward through a process that would help design a new welcome center and design parking that would go along with that. And then once that's, that's done and permitting and all those hoops are gone through, we can start breaking ground on that, which will be really exciting. Uh, a big endeavor. But then there's trails. There's always trail plans. So, you know, I think one of our big efforts this summer is, uh, again, continuing on the recommendations from the capacity study. You're really making connections from villages and mitigating all bike traffic off the roads. You know, we want folks to be able to park and just ride on trails forever, all day, every day. So there's a couple of those connections that are going to be built. Uh, one that we're really excited about is the final phase uh, in our Moose Haven connection, which is connecting Eastburg to East Haven. So two villages will be completely connected. And the Dashney area is owned by Burke Mountain. And we're, we built out a little green trail in that area. Really fun, family-friendly trail. And we're hoping to, to build more there, which also would help get... Uh, let people park up at Burke Mountain. They have lots of parking, but nobody wants to park up there because there's a crazy mountain road that you have to bike up and down. And so having some more trails over, trail infrastructure over on that side of the network will actually remove bikers um, off of the road, uh, which is a plus. So there's a, you know, a couple of those projects along with some fun uphills and downhills, you know, uh, Moose Alley is a fun area that everyone loves to go downhill on. And we're actually going to plan an uphill route so there's not that trail user conflict of uphill riders and downhill riders so both folks riding up and down will be happy <laughs> to keep on cruising and there's possible expansion off of the self 
South Darling Hill to Kingdom Campground. Uh, we just have to get, get ourselves over the Pacific River. So if we can build a bridge or... <laughs> Um, they have ample parking, but they also have their own trails. They have some great trails that they've built themselves, which would be fun to connect to. And that furthers our connection to the Lindenville downtown area, which is also a plus for those businesses that are already over there. Yeah, and you just you just hit on something that I've never even thought to ask you. <laughs> Through the capacity study, was directional trails brought up as a possible solution for some of your stuff? You know, it wasn't. Really? No, it wasn't. And I don't believe, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but we've also had this conversation so many times um, with our trail advisory committee, with our own trail crew, with our trail users. And I think I need to be careful what I say here. I, <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, our trails actually deemed by the capacity study, our trails were deemed fine. You know, it, the trails are fine. <laughs> They're not at capacity. We have enough trails to spread people out. So everyone's happy. It's the parking. It's where people are starting their rides from. That's what we don't have enough of. That's what's at max capacity. So the, the trail travel is actually quite a wonderful experience. So that was not a recommendation. Yeah, and what spurred my thought on that was uh, the fact that you said Moose Alley is a really good downhill. and to get mm -hmm. riders back up to the top and that's really what that's what spurred my thinking on that absolutely i think we do have a couple of signs um at the the bottom of uh black bear out in moose haven and it says preferred right of way is a downhill trail but um we also know that there are folks who want to ride the trails and maybe they're out there at seven in the morning they're the only ones out there and and they want to climb up it they're welcome to so, and, and we have, you know, our, our trail network, our policy is everyone yields to everyone. It kind of goes along with ride with gratitude, communicate with each other, be nice with each other, both down and uphills need to slow down, acknowledge each other and then pass safely. That's how, what we state. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have, have used these much or if it's prevalent up in, in the New England area, but we use a tool called the Timberbell where I live, which actually came out of California. And that is one device. It's, it's basically, it's a bike bell that turns on and off. So you don't have to listen mm. to it the whole entire time. You can turn it off when you know you're on a downhill that's maybe directional or when you know you're not going to see other users. But it's a tool that I was resistant to initially. I'm like, I don't want to hear this bell. And I, don't, I think hikers are going to be annoyed by hearing a bell. But I've still put one on my bike maybe after three or four months of being resistant to it. And almost every single ride that I do with that on, I get thank yous from hikers. For having that bell. I'm so happy to hear that, Josh. So I just, just this week was on a Zoom with a friend who went to Sedona for a mountain bike trip. And there, she said on the trails there, she, um, there were a lot of hikers. And she bought a bell specifically for the trip. And she made sure it was a bell that wasn't like a, you know, it was, it was like a nice sound, like a ding ding, like a little kid's bell. <laughs> and she said that she actually, when she would use it and use it well in advance, and of when she came upon somebody and people were really grateful and thanked her for letting them know that she was there. And, and it made me think that, oh, maybe I would do something like that. Except I'm so slow. I'm the one getting off of the bike for everybody. So, <laughs> but, but that's not a bad idea. Maybe we could 
do a little fundraising event. I'm going to throw a, a, a shameless <laughs> plug in only because sure. I did a podcast with the guy that invented the Timberbell and it is a good episode. And it was, it was mainly invented because him and his, his wife had what it wasn't really a negative trail experience, but they could tell that not, a, it wasn't, you know, not everybody walked away with smiling ear to ear and it mm-hmm. was, and it, you know, and, and their main thing was they didn't, they wanted something they could turn on and off. Yeah. And so I'm going to look into that. Whether it's a timber bell or another, you know, another different type of bell, that's something that I was definitely wrong on. And it's been a huge benefit to, you know, because where I live, we don't have a huge volume of trails, but we do have a huge volume of trail users. And so it's important to let the other users know when people are around. Absolutely. Especially, you know, KT touts itself as being such a family friendly and welcoming all. And, you know, even my own kiddo will be out there um, in future years. And, and I think, yeah, safety's sake, I like that. I'm going to look into it, too. Thank you. Our local NICA team gave timber bells to all the kids oh, cool. in the program. And that's like 100 kids. So That's awesome. Well, I have a closing question. Yeah. It's a newer closing question. Something I came up with. This will summarize basically everything we've talked about, so it's nothing, nothing new. This is something I came up with when I was driving home from my most recent trip down to the southeast. The question is the power of trails. What do you think the powers of trails can do for communities? And you've talked about it this whole episode, but let's summarize that. Yeah, but, you know, I, I know, I feel like I was like talking until I was blue in the face about economic development. And it absolutely, there's no questions asked that trails can do that. But I maybe just want to go a little further that I just believe trails are essential. And, and I use such a strong word because I, I believe that's the case, especially in the wake of COVID-19. Just because the value placed on the outdoors in these past few years has, has truly, truly proven to to help our community members, you know, during this time of uncertainty. I just think trails and outdoor space has provided such um, critical, not only physical, we all know that, but also mental health benefits as people can get out there and safely gather. They can lift their own spirits, you know, clear their own minds and fortify their bodies. And, and that was, again, so essential during this isolating pandemic. I know I was grateful for them every single day. So, so yes, economic development, of course. <laughs> and I know I spoke to that throughout uh, today, but, but I, I didn't want to leave without sharing that thought, um, how that they, the trails are so much more. Yeah, essential is the power of trails to me. <laughs> it is very true and you know we we both live in areas that have rather long winters and yeah. while there is obviously winter trail use and uh, you guys have fat biking and we have fat biking and cross-country skiing and alpine skiing and and all that good stuff you know i i took the trip that i took last week because i needed to see 70 degrees and sunny yeah on trails yep we just we just booked a trip down to the shenandoah area so we're with you <laughs> yeah. And it was, I, I feel extremely fortunate that I hit the weather perfect. I didn't see 
I barely saw a cloud for seven days. Ah, lucky. And it was unseasonably warm, which I thought was incredible. You know, you never know what you're going to get going to get in the mountains, even if you're in western North Carolina or eastern Tennessee. But it was every all the locals were were like, wow, like this weather this week has just been incredible. So. So fortunate. That's awesome. And it was all in the name of trails and, and, and for that that mental release, you know, <laughs> yeah, that you spoke of. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have anything in closing that we haven't discussed that you maybe want to hit on quick or? I mean, I didn't really talk about a lot of our efforts when it comes to youth. You know, I, I think that's something too, that kingdom trails holds as one of our, one of our pillars. One of our goals is to, you know, we do such a good job engaging with our local school district and, you know, really helping kids out, get out on those trails and even helping the schools get the gear. Uh, to get the kids out on trails. Cause that's sometimes the biggest hurdle. Like, yes, we can provide memberships for them to, to access the trails for free, but that's worthless if they don't have the proper equipment, sneakers or bikes to get out there. And I think those, those partnerships are something I, I definitely want to mention in this podcast and into you, because I, I believe by instilling that love at such a young age that that will just continue with kiddos uh, the rest of their life and they'll end up being again the mental and physical health benefits that they'll have with them but also the love that they'll feel towards nature and the environment by being outside and exposed uh, to trails at such a young age is is good for everyone good for the environment good for our future yeah is that something they can actually uh that they actually incorporate into their curriculum too is getting you know using the kingdom trails i'm assuming it's access can be probably pretty easy from the school. Yes. And actually the whole school district. So not just this, is like I think eight towns around the area, they all have experiential education days where in the winter, I know that they were up skiing at the mountain and uh, in the, in the not spring and fall months, they'll be out on our trails. Uh, they have a, one of my good friends in the area is the director of outdoor experiential learning for the school district. And, and we work wonderfully with her and her team to get these kids, you know, the transportation even to get them out on the trails. And we even have our own directors. We even have an AmeriCorps member, a youth education coordinator. That's, that's like in the schools daily teaching ride with gratitude, teaching leave no trace, teaching about uh, building their own trails around schools, actually, you know, (laughs) giving them the shovels to make their own trail. They are doing it. It's, it's awesome to watch. It's very cool. I can't wait for my kid to be a part of it. When you can get the schools engaged in the outdoors, that definitely does create a huge impact for children. Well, Abby, I really appreciate well, Josh. all of this. <laughs> you know, I know we went back and forth on scheduling this and, and, you know, I had some challenges and you had some challenges and, but we got it done. And I really appreciate you just being we able did. to take the time through everything to, to be able to sit down and record this interview. Oh, well, Josh, I'm so grateful to you. I mean, just for you taking the time to even highlight Kingdom Trails. Like I said, we love sharing our story. We love being a resource to others. And, and I'm, I'm grateful the baby behaved himself. You know, <laughs> I, I had time to talk to you. And, and I just hope folks come and experience it for yourself. Come visit, check us out. And my final words, when you do come, just ride with gratitude. <laughs>
<laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio content. This will ensure you have the latest content by Trail Effect, and it will help the show as well. Also, please take the time to leave a rating and a review wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.